I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Millions of Screens, IndieWire's TV industry-focused podcast. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined as always by TV awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. Today's show is full of firsts. That's right. We have our first interview with Paul Rudd and the rest of the Living With Yourself team, plus our first correction, guys. <laughs> Well, hold on now. This is this is like a slight correction. Should we issue the correction right now? Yeah, probably. All right. So la- on last week's episode, we were talking about the release of season three of The Crown, and Netflix was choosing to release it on a Sunday as opposed to its normal rollout of Friday. And we posited several theories as to why they may be doing this. But it turns out that Sunday was Queen's Day which is the day that Queen Elizabeth the first the first uh, had her coronation day. And so that's why they chose to release it all oh, on Sunday. That's one of the reasons they chose why to release it. We spoke with Netflix people. We were in that the Netflix office. That was one of the reasons. They didn't know the other reasons, but there are other reasons. So so maybe th- maybe some of our theories were true that they had the data that maybe a Sunday release would be better for them. The algorithm. This is millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? Boy, what a great show. Now it's time for The Clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from this past week. Guys, Netflix announced David Fincher will produce a Chinatown prequel with Robert Town in tow. It's going to be a, it's, so it's a prequel based on the life of Jake Gittles, which was Jack Nicholson's character in the film. I mean, not to be negative but this sounds terrible um it doesn't sound terrible it just like i love fincher i love chinatown robert town and i just i don't know that we needed this biggest question has to be are they just going to de-age jack nicholson put him back in the role with all the stuff they did for irishman right you think netflix is now next is a series they did it for a four-hour movie they can do it for a Eight-hour eight miniseries or whatever it is. I look forward to seeing an 80-year-old Jack Nicholson playing a 17-year-old Jake. <laughs> the body type will <laughs> be... All, all the body movements will seem <laughs> like a teenager's young life body. But, I mean, there was a sequel to Chinatown, which I feel like most people didn't like that much. But the two Jakes? Yeah, the two Jakes. I thought it was okay. I thought it wasn't, it wasn't bad. They also haven't confirmed, like, if Fincher's going to direct it all. It's still very much in the, like, early phases of... of you know, locking this thing up. So, um, right. Still very speculative, but Hey, Netflix making some things happen. I also wonder, and this is again, going under the hood, how well a show like Mindhunter does for Netflix. Cause I love it, but I can't imagine most of its subscriber base is like, yes, please more Mindhunter. I feel like more people probably watch Mindhunter than you would expect. Okay. I feel like it's something that like my younger brother in the Midwest probably stumbled across and watches. But it's not like, especially season two, it's not exactly what you might want if you're going in as like, ooh, a serial killer story or ooh, Mm -hmm. like this is a true crime kind of, you know, mystery with some hard edges. It's not a serial killer of the week style show, which I think is probably what the masses would want. They're like, on this week's episode, we get, and you do get a little bit of that, like we get Charlie Manson. On this week's episode, we get BTK or, you know, BTK is this long drawn out thing. I think 
how many people watch Mindhunter and are thus demanding another season of it is an interesting question unto itself. But it, but. it just goes to like the Chinatown question, which is like, how many people are going to clamor for this iteration of Chinatown? Whereas House of Cards was something that like was more popcorny, a little more propulsive. Yeah. Soapy. Soapy is a great word for it. Yeah. This past Friday, we had the opportunity to sit down with the star and directors of Living With Yourself, Paul Rudd and Jonathan Dayton, and Valerie Ferris. Too many ands there. Dayton and Ferris are best known for directing a slew of music videos in the mid-90s before rising to prominence with Little Miss Sunshine. They have since directed Ruby Sparks and Battle of the Sexes. And Paul Rudd is arguably most famous for being the guy who said, Look at us. Who would have thought? Not me. What do you guys think? Was that a pretty good read? I don't even good? know what that's from. Oh my god. Hot ones! It's the meme! For the uninitiated, Netflix's Living With Yourself is the story of Miles Elliott, a man who, after undergoing a mysterious spa treatment that promises him the allure of a better life, discovers that he has been replaced by a cloned version of himself. Also, named Miles. What follows is a fairly spoiler-free conversation right up until the very end where we actually talk about the last episode. It should also be noted that at the beginning of the interview, you'll hear a bunch of cans being clicked open. Trust us, those are just sparkling waters and Coke Zeros. And now, here's our interview with Paul Rudd, Jonathan Dayton, and Valerie Ferris. Oh, yeah. Now this podcast. Yeah. This is the only way we can get it. Yeah. You gotta trust LaCroix. Oh, yeah. Chug it. With that. Chug it. We're all gonna get carbonated, and it's yes. gonna go. Hey, man. Yeah. Ain't nothing, wrong, ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool <laughs> podcast. Uh, well, thank you guys so much for being here at thank Netflix. You. I think I wanted to start with a really sort of silly question mostly aimed at Paul. Which of these questions do you think you've gotten the most over the course of doing the press for this? What attracted you most to this project? Uh-huh. That's, that's what was it lot. like acting with yourself? Mm-hmm. What can you tell us about the next Ant-Man? Mm-hmm. And is Marvel cinema? You, I, I, I've gotten a lot of that last one recently. <laughs> I would say the one of those four that I've been asked the most is what attracted you to this project? So what attracted you to the <laughs> By the way, before we start, I do have just one question uh, for the table. Uh, who's ready to party? <laughs> In the spirit of is Marvel Cinema, I'm going to ask Jonathan and Valerie, is Netflix television? <laughs> <laughs> careful, careful how you answer because HBO might get litigious. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but, you know, it, you know, it, it was exciting to us to tell a story over four hours and and we wouldn't want to do that in a movie theater um i you know as much as i love certain long films um and and uh you know there's no denying that when you do something for netflix you you have this potential to reach such a huge audience immediately and you know after doing indie films um it's been wild having so many people so quickly comment and you know be able to see it so but i think it's like a new form of television that is almost more like a novel than a you know where you you read a chapter and then you really want to read the next chapter and the next chapter and i i think um you know it's definitely television with sort of series television with instant gratification where you can keep going if you want right let me ask let me go a little further with that because i think what ben and i experience a lot speaking to people within the industry who come over from film is they like to say oh well we made an eight-hour film or we made a a 22-hour film like (laughs) did you have that sense or or were you 
were you experiencing the the more episodic elements um and what how was that different from working in film well i mean i would say the challenge with this particular project was that uh the the structure of it was um particularly challenging because we had to shoot it in block shooting so we were um, shooting everything out of order based on the locations and so we had to kind of picture the whole series in our heads sort of like a movie i mean i think we did talk about the whole story and had we had to have it in our heads enough that as we went through it and shot it out of order we had some sense of what the overall kind of arc of it was going to be so yeah, I don't know if that answers. But, but the you know, question. one thing, one thing though that we've not talked about yet on this project, which I think is important for people in our business, is that this is kind of this hybrid, and I don't think it's fully been figured out because you know we were just shocked that it's like doing two films back to back with the prep of half a film. Like you don't, you know, so you got the prep TV prep. But the length is longer and I, you know, it's just, and I think in terms of what it, you ask the crews to do, they're all working really, really long hours. And so it's something that- And the, and the cast. And the cast. Well, with that. And then, yes. Well, everyone, I mean, it co compounded by the fact that this one was very techno technically challenging. So we had to take even more time setting up shots and doing the scenes several times over. Jonathan Valerie, I, I honestly, I, I don't want to get too far into the into the what attracted you to this project kind of territory. <laughs> but um, when I watched this, I, I was very, I was reminded a lot of Ruby Sparks, which is a movie that I really mm -hmm. loved. And I felt like one of the like there was a lot of connective tissue in terms of using this this um, impossible story or or you know fantastical kind of structure to um, tell a story that's about a relationship, like to talk about things that are very very real. And I was just curious, kind of uh, if you were if you were brought back to that movie when you were making this, or kind of how you feel about those stories in terms of of you know what benefit they have for the audience, like if that helps people kind of connect with the material to tell it in this um, you know unusual way. I mean, I think I think they call it grounded sci-fi, or I've heard that term and I hadn't heard it before. But um, I think that that's really what attracted us to it. If I I didn't mean to answer that question, but I mean, I, I, I do think it. what okay. you know, it was that it was actually dealing with real issues of um, you know how the, the kind of war we have with ourselves and and you know and in how that impacts our relationships and. So it's all those issues, and then when you have an actor like Paul, you know, it, you know that you can, you can get into those real relatable issues, and um, people will uh, empathize with the character. And you know, so I, I think we loved the concept and the kind of high concept, but we also, in the same way that we with Ruby Sparks, you know, it was really about what are the issues that it's kind of um, investigating, and and we. That's what's fun about it, and you know, that's what interested us was that it was dealing with stuff that, you know, I think everybody has some form of loving and hating themselves. So yeah, it's very honest. Like the, I feel like the everything that Miles deals with is something that you can relate to, even when you're literally looking at Miles, looking at himself. Um, but with with that in mind, uh, Paul, I was I was curious about. 
uh, kind of what you did to prepare, uh, whether it was watching uh, other projects, including like what the directors had done, or, you know, going back to your own work. Obviously, you have a little experience in this and something like Celery Man. Uh, I don't know if that influenced <laughs> any decisions on set, yeah, but like that it influences was, every decision. Right, exactly. <laughs> I didn't want to presume. But. <laughs> well, I was very familiar with John Bell's work. I've been a fan of theirs for a long time. And we ha have known each other for a long time and have tried to work together in the past. Um, so I was elated when, you know, they came on board. And as far as the, um, the preparation, this is a completely new way of working. I've never done anything like this. And that was really appealing. And I thought it would be a, a, ch a challenge I'd want to take on. As, and we kind of figured it out, all of us, as we were starting, because no one had ever worked like this. It's a convention we've seen before, but there's no one way of doing it. You've spoken a lot about, you know, that you weren't using a double unless you really needed to, that you were, you know, reading the lines beforehand, recording them, and then sort of, you know, putting an earwig in, and whoever was driving the scene, you do that part first. And then right. in that whole process, what would you say was like the most challenging acting aspect of it? You know, we all talked about, we wanted to do these oneers where it wasn't just a standard over-the-shoulder shot. Uh, we wanted to see both Mileses in the same frame. And so there was one scene in particular that lasts about three minutes and it's the, there's a lot of movement in it. And I think that that scene in particular was one of the most challenging and f for me to do. And that's because eyelines become the key to all of it. And if there's a lot of movement, I have to follow whatever it is that I'm, the other character is doing. So we filmed, we spent a lot of time really figuring out the choreography and the blocking of the scene and then just doing it over and over again until we got one we liked. And then ha I had to study that take and see where I was moving and on what line I was moving. And if I was making a gesture, to, if I was throwing something in a garbage can, and I had to, oh, like on that word, I reached for it. And so when I did the reverse... I was trying to act in the scene, imagining I was acting opposite me, but also listening to the dialogue and moving my uh, eyes into the to the choreography that I was remembering. It, which that that whole sequence was uh, was strange. <laughs> you only did like I think we only did maybe four takes or maybe on this, less on this like second? you he got it yeah. so fast yeah, it's it's it like was... it's like watching an olympic gymnast doing the floor exercise <laughs> and they they stick the first part and you're going okay i think they're going to get this yeah. and then they keep going and oh perfect and yeah. I, I, you know we felt like and then those <laughs> parents in the in the stands who are leaning back and forth and and he would get it and then there was one moment in the take we used where he's a little bit ahead of his previous take and so he has to improvise a line to allow the last take to catch up to where he is and he totally got it and and it all landed just do you remember that how you like you 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 ask a question of the other miles and then you just repeat half it's, the it's, question is that where she oh, before the line yes yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. oh yeah. right yeah. right she, <laughs> find, she finds us attractive and it was like 
you would deliver the line and there was like, oh my God, there's going to be a pause. And you filled the pause. She actually and found then this attractive? It, yeah. Anyway, it, <laughs> it, is, it is like you, know, you set up the dominoes and yeah. you guys, God no, forbid, you spend a whole day setting them up it, and then it yeah, goes in, it. and then the last yeah. 10, yeah. 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 Like it, it, it doesn't click. And yeah. There was this real, uh, <laughs> it was stressful oh. to, uh, to do those things. And there were sometimes, I remember we had the one in the car where it was like, oh, the take is right. And, and then I bobbled it. Oh. And, you oh. know, and, oh. and so. Yeah, that, I was just going to say the thing that was in light of how you worked on the set, the first time we saw you rehearse a scene, like we, we had like a week of real rehearsals with just with Paul and Paul, you know. And so to see uh, the first time you kind of walked through a scene, it was kind of amazing just to see how much you knew that other character who you were playing against, and you could just sort of, the whole scene would come together. It was obvious in your head, but we would watch it going, oh my God, he, he knows what the other guy's going to do, and then he's, and he's thinking about that as he's doing it, and then you could just flip to the other side, and I mean, we realized how agile you were and how you could hold both sides of the scene and the characters not just like where you were and where you were looking but also like the dynamic between the two characters was so great to just see that like come to life in a rehearsal so it wouldn't have been possible without that skill yeah. level i think in well this case. thank you i don't know if that's totally true but no. i uh but i, I, I <laughs> we both I, yeah there's two, two of us one. i will, say, <laughs> I will so. say it was the reason why um we opted not to go with a an acting partner even though you would never see that acting partner in the scene mm -hmm. because regardless if we're shooting something and there is another person there it's going to play a role in how i'm acting it um and I was, I suppose, nervous that it might throw that off. Yeah. In terms of directing something like this, and not to get too into the weeds on how you chose to shoot these sequences, what cam, like what kind of cameras did you use to sort of make sure you could either roto or lay two scenes on top of each other? What was that decision making process like? Well, you know, we we tried a kind of low budget computer controlled system for the first couple of weeks and <laughs> there was this thing that happened oh my god yeah, where god. well it was one of those things where you'd shoot the first side and then you'd shoot the second side and then as they were shooting the second side we'd do this we i love that we would do this great take paul would do an amazing take and then you'd hear this oh it didn't lock up it did, they didn't lock up that time and it, it was so there were a couple heartbreaking. Of very frustrating you know so so we finally figured out the technical side and we would we'd have days in which we'd have our computer controlled system and then we'd have our our low rent days where we would just shoot just with simpler scenes like simpler. if they're sitting down in the diner you didn't you don't need, need a movement computer, but, yeah but um you know that's when you just sort of do a rudimentary sort yeah, of like yeah, cut. yeah yeah there were a lot of simple tricks that we used and but we did want to shoot it as much as possible how we would shoot it if we had two actors you know and and just not make it like you know it was funny even in the edit sometimes when they they'd comped the takes together and we'd say oh can we um can we cut this differently or we change something we'd forget that they were actually comped together we think that there were we just got all of us the editors and everyone got so used to seeing the two pauls that they really believed that they were both in the same scene, you know. So that was sort of the goal was just to not make, not focus really on the the um, technical aspect and make that sort of 
not let just, that rule us. Yeah. Yes. Well, in terms of the the preparation, I did want to ask about kind of defining the two different miles because you know a lot of the the conversation that's happened since it came out is how kind of easy it is to distinguish them, even though there's not like a very like prominent telling thing that you change. It's not like you know the the cloned version of Miles came out with a wonky eye or something. Right. So, like, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> but, did you guys right, talk good, about maybe having a wonky, wonky eye? eye? Yeah. Like yeah. I mean, I feel yeah, like one of the concerns you kind of realize that on the last day. But I do, I felt like one of the concerns, at least when you were making it, would be that you didn't do enough to make sure that people could distinguish oh. it very easily. And I don't know how you came to that decision of like, oh no, we got it. Like we can tell from the hair and the clothes and it, the it's, performance. It's it weird like, when you start these things because what seems obvious at the end of the process, you have no idea. You know, you, you live in fear that, oh my God, will people watch this scene and suddenly get confused about who's who and how, you know. And so we talked about a lot of different ways that we might distinguish and we looked at different degrees to which they would look different. And we kind of came up, yeah, yeah. Too. And we came up with a few basic things. One thing I didn't even know till mid process, but uh, Paul had in all the old Miles scenes, Paul had Belt loop. The belt loop, you know, <laughs> missed a belt loop. Yeah. On when, so there were little Easter egg kind of things. But even you, just like the muscles in your face yeah. were hit the way, you know, like kind of the weight of the world that was on old miles and your posture and those things. But it was challenging because we had, he had to, uh, we had to make it so that the wife, his wife, Kate, wouldn't necessarily go, what the hell happened? You know, you're um, not the same person. Yeah. 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 So it had to be something that. You know, relatively subtle. Yeah. A little can go a long way in um, really specifying uh, a person. The first thing that I think we thought of was, well, hair could be a little different. That's the first thing that we went to. And then we thought, all right, clothes could fit a little differently. But posture counts for a whole bunch. And uh, smiling uh, yeah. accounts for a lot. Um I felt when I was playing each part, I felt very different. I felt like I was playing two very different characters. And some of those changes manifest themselves almost subconsciously uh, as I f feel like the new Miles, I'm moving differently just because I feel like I am playing this person. And s some of those choices are very specific and conscious choices. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe some of them just innately happen. Um, but that was always the goal to be able to have one of them on camera and the other one not be there and an audience know who was whom. Smiling accounts for a lot is just like a good life. Yeah. Like smiling accounts for a lot. What are you, my dad? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that on your bookmark <laughs> when I came into this. <laughs> I just remember, so I said this, I hadn't completely forgot, <laughs> forgotten about this, but when, um, whenever I was doing old miles you're tired of the differences some of these i would always throw old miles clothes on the floor, on the floor. Oh, but when i was new miles and i had to change I'd, put, I'd always hang them up and oh, no. every, every single time throughout the entire oh. show and i was like i wonder if they're going to they catch think that yeah and they're like why does he hang up his clothes and I was like sometimes you method that is and like I'm not, and miles I'm really method. not that just, just felt like 
Yeah. I, like, well, yeah, maybe this will inform in some way. There is something kind of methody about it, but more than that, it just seemed funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So actually, as someone who suffers from depression, to bring the room down a little bit, <gasps> yeah. um, watching this was a little bit like watching a horror film. Um, <laughs> there's something about, you know, the version of yourself you feel you are and then being usurped by the person you could be. Um, I loved those horror elements. And did that appeal to you? Was that we talked a little bit before we started recording about how it wasn't just a comedy and you don't like doing just comedies. Tell me about going into this work where you can find so many nuances in it and, and why those projects appeal to you. Actually, one of my favorite scenes is New Miles considering... committing suicide which isn't particularly funny but there's that scene to me I I think when we first watched him do it it just there was such interesting kind of um, real pain in it but also that it could just in an instant flip to something kind of absurd and funny and um, I think that was really interesting to us and that it could go to a, a real dark place but then also um be able to kind of find a way that you could actually laugh about it and i think that's a really hard thing to do and i credit paul for being able to pull that off i don't know you know i think and there's just not a lot of actors who can really go to both those places and within and and what an incredible ego boost it is doing (laughs) this uh podcast with you guys but but (laughs) i think that really is our favorite part of that kind of scene and that sequence and actually very real and telling but funny to to have a gun you know in your mouth or you're really just on the verge but at the last second oh i can't wear this shirt like try should i button it here (laughs) is there there's some toothpaste on i I have to change my shirt there's something self-consciousness that kind of that those kinds of moments (laughs) and and the way that the human beings can think are the that's the best yeah. thing ever and and i loved doing uh or at least trying to uh, do that in a in a scene it was it was um it was a powerful it yeah. was really one of the more powerful experiences i think i've ever had as an actor just to look at yourself in a mirror with a gun next with to your gun. head is really and that gun unsettling. was real you know i just remember too how much we all were just checking to make sure the gun was like they're just yeah. it's yeah. weird yeah. having a real gun on set so yeah. so it it did like already i think there was this heightened sense of wow this thing is you know it's it's not a toy it's right. really real and, and you know in also thinking about your question and going back to your first one which is what drew me to the project <laughs> full um, circle there is something obviously very enticing for an actor to play two parts um and but that in and of itself is not going to be the draw if the writing isn't good but more importantly if the story and the themes aren't there and i thought just the content of this show what it was talking about was really what was so fascinating and what i wanted to why i wanted to do it to get to play two extremes in a way of this you know of the same person and take on this existential question of what is the great the best version of ourselves and um uh, and do deal with this theme in this kind of heightened way 
was really exciting and that it was so well written and kind of sp- spelled out all eight episodes it uh, it it didn't take too much uh, thought. no no I, I, I and that was and it was the, about yes depression these, these kinds of these themes mm-hmm. were the things that really drew me to it i agree I, you know and i think that to see it played out in action you know like to like the it's not all it's not voiceover it's it's actually happening through the action of these two characters that was really exciting for us to see you know because i you can hear an internal dialogue of someone and that's a that's sometimes great Mm -hmm. but it was really fun i think for us to see it sort of physicalized and you know to the point of uh, actual physical fight um was, was the movie it is show is it's like Fight Club, but only if you had <laughs> Edward Norton and Brad Pitt in, in every scene, <laughs> right? together. Yeah. Every, but it's yeah. a similar. I, had, I hadn't yeah. made that connection. Yeah. By the way, I'm just doing it now. Hadn't yeah. even thought about. Yeah, you're it's saying a, it's fighting a, with each Tyler other. Tyler Durden is real. Yeah, yeah. 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 exactly. He's not a figment. He's yeah. not the same person. Yes. They are. They, they are. They live two, in the yeah. world yeah. together. But it's not like But here's the thing, and this is what I think is the biggest credit to Tim's writing is that it's not that new Miles is happy and good and old Miles is sad and Mm -hmm. old. It's that they are both so conflicted Mm -hmm. over their existence now and this existential crisis they've put it in. It would be so easy to to kind of shoehorn them into what we expect them to be. So um, into a Tyler Durden and a... Edward Norton. Um, in a weird yeah. way, in a weird way, you're talking about like the spectrum of what you could play. Essentially, if you have two people that start at different places, you, you kind of get double the width. Mm. But I actually think because they're both there, you actually yeah. get, like it quadruples. Like it's like yeah. exponential. <laughs> right. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact that they're together then allows you to go from whatever this low note is on the piano to this high note. Right. Yeah. Whereas like normally, if you're just in a you're norm- blowing my mind right now, man. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. it. Is, me too. I was not told there would be math. <laughs> so. I just wanted to ask, since we're sitting here in Netflix's offices, um, have you guys talked about season two? Is that something that you're aware of, thinking about? You know, it now that this thing is just coming out and we're making the rounds and kind of talking about it, there's only so we only have so much bandwidth in a way. Uh, it, we're not even thinking about it really. Um, just kind of focusing on this right now. I think starting probably next week is going to be the first time all of us collectively are going to be able to take one step back and a deep breath and then uh, figure out what tomorrow looks like. Hey guys, we're back. I think it went well. I think it went okay. It was fine. (laughs) Good reversal of our original conversation. (laughs) Do we have any wakeboarding with Ann Dowd news that we want to get to? Uh, we do. We, uh, there's a there's an important new article on IndieWire.com published uh, specifically calling out David Lindelof for uh, I think what we can all agree is his his biggest problem, his most egregious flaw, continuing flaw. Libby, what 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 what? How did you phrase it? He hates dogs. Yes, yes. Yep. And I want to know why. Yep. Why does Damon Lindelof hate dogs? This is the article. His abject hatred of dogs. Yeah. Writ- written by Libby Hill. It's offensive. Citing evidence such as. Should we go? Should we go into each? each well, exhibit. You could, you could list a couple exhibit of examples, a? probably. I mean, exa- well, exhibit, exhibit a, a is that Vincent, the second character we meet, 
in the Lost pilot is never elevated to a series regular. Like, we never get an episode from his point of view. Imagine the show if Vincent had been on the same level as, like, Kate. Like, is that not a better show? Wait, did we never do a flashback episode for Vincent? They always talked about it, apparently, oh, no. but it never happened. This is why I've got to read the article before I bring it up. Okay, that's exhibit so exhibit mean. B, exhibit B, the the, the leftovers, and please. I thought something happened to Vincent. Didn't something happen to Vincent? No, I he mean, disappeared he had a very traumatic while, time on the he island. Back, he was often then, used as bait, like yeah. to get the humans into the jungle where things were bad. I mean, so they all die. He doesn't die, though. They all die. No, oh. he's in the last seat. Like, <laughs> oh, that's true. I mean, everyone dies. We all die. Ben. Wait, is he is he in the church? I don't know, but don't he, know if he is. When that one character dies in the final episode, uh, he's there. In, okay, all right. Okay. That's good precedent. And then he elevated in the and leftovers. Then, then the leftovers Exhibit scene B. just went off the rails, and like five minutes in, like there's dog carnage. And it just continues throughout. By the way, some monster made a GIF of that first shot. No. And I obviously use leftovers GIFs a lot. And when I go searching on Google for like fresh ones or different ones or whatever it is, that one comes up so much. And it is like, even for somebody who's not particularly a dog person, it is horrific. Oof. I can't believe someone put it out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But But the thing that really served as the catalyst for this article. Stuck in my Exhibit C, Watchmen. <laughs> really grinds my gears. Mm. Uh, Listener, really I shrieked. Lunch. Listener, I shrieked when watching this past. My hands were shaking. <laughs> did you really shriek? I did shriek. There was objectively the most adorable puppy in the world. And uh, the puppy, we don't see anything bad happen to the puppy but we know something bad happens to the puppy and that's just, it's a bridge too far. And I, all I'm saying is not that call out culture is good, but rather that Damon Lindelof should be called out about how he treats dogs, fictional dogs. Who, Who would I rather would you see, rather see Damon Lindelof kill or, another dog or baby Yoda? Well, baby Yoda, you're probably, he would be able to force project as a ghost. So yeah, he can kill Baby Yoda. He could be a, a ghost, Baby Yoda. Ghost Baby Yoda is also cute. <laughs> Sounds like you're trying right. to convince yourself, Leo. Ghost Baby Yoda is also cute. That dog cannot force project from the astral plane or wherever the Jedi go. You don't know that? I don't think so. You don't know that? Baby Yoda would be in... I don't even know if that dog has a, a soul because he's a clone. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, you should have told Paul Rudd that. <laughs> Should have said that about New Miles. Yeah, New Miles doesn't have a soul. soul. Why am I invested in this son of a bitch? Wow. (laughs) Full circle. Wow, really full circle. Uh, Last question of the pod. Libby, do you have a show on Quibi yet? No, but if it is, it's going to feature a lot of dogs being treated nicely. People would watch that show. I know. If you just had, how how long are Quibi episodes? Five minutes? You had five minutes of just like a bunch of dogs hanging out? Look at this dog. I mean. And then the dog would run around and I would clap for it and I'd be like, this is quality content. Millions of Screens is a production of Penske Media Corporation and IndieWire. Our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video Bjork talking about her TV and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brideson. Our publisher is James Israel. And our executive editor is Ann Donahue. 
You can find us on Twitter at a million screens, at Midwest Spitfire, at Ben T. Travers, and at Leo Adrian Garcia. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. So leave a review and maybe we'll mention your critiques and take your notes. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo reminding you, as always, that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. Hey, man, ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. (laughs) Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.